You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. people out in the virtual world. If I'm looking at the wrong camera, I'll go ahead and apologize up front, but I'm going to see if I can do this here. There we go. All right. Okay. If you would turn with me to Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. I asked Scott to put the slide in here from the common English Bible, and that's what I'll be reading from this morning. It says, with what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil, Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the beauty of my body for the sin of my spirit? God has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. Let us pray. To the God of Mama Harriet, Mama Billy, and Mama Fannie Lou. Thank you for everything that you have done for us. We pray that you will be with those who are going through some kind of suffering this this morning. I pray that we will seek to be your hands, feet, arms, and presence here in this world. I come to you on behalf of everyone under the sound of my voice to petition you to allow your Holy Spirit to come into this place right now to guide my words and to work on our hearts to accept the words of this text. If someone is convicted to make a change for the better, may this sermon help them to take the steps in the right direction. If someone gets upset over the substance in this homiletic moment, may they sit with your spirit to examine why they are upset. Bless this time together. Help us to be more like the Jesus of the Gospels. In his name I pray, amen. The Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed him for three days before asking who he is, where he's come from, where he's headed. That way, he'll have the strength enough to answer Or by then, you'll be such good friends that you don't care. Let's go back to that. Rice, pine nuts. Here, take the red brocade pillow. My child will serve you water, will serve water to your horse. No, I was not busy when you came. I was not preparing to be busy. That's the armor everyone put on to pretend they had a purpose in the world. I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. 
We will snip fresh mint into your tea. This was a poem called The Red Brocade by Naomi Shehab Nye. She is a Palestinian-American whose family became refugees when Israel became a state. She grew up seeing what the lack of justice did to her Palestinian father, and hopefully this sermon will do justice to help us to see more about that. Let me start by saying that I hope that everyone who is in the physical audience and the audience online will listen to this sermon with an open mind. It will challenge honest hearts. It will upset those who live their lives based on American party politics. I want to build upon what Russ said last week. However, I want to provide some clarification. The subject of love and justice is most definitely a political issue. Now listen to what, I say, what I'm saying when I say that. One of the Greek words for political is politikos. According to the Greek-English lexicon, one of its meanings is having relation to public life. Socrates believed that politics was not about capturing power or staying in power. He believed that it was, making, it was about making good and proper citizens. And I do believe that God is concerned about us being good and proper citizens in the kingdom of God. As we journey through the theology of justice in the Old Testament, we will see that Mishpat is indeed a political concept, but it is not concerned with the politics, I'm sorry, but it is concerned with the politics of how God intended for humanity to dwell together. It is not about the elephant and the donkey being the standard for the followers of Jesus. It is not about red being right and blue being wrong or vice versa. It is not about the American conservative agenda or the American liberal agenda being the standard of God. It is about God's standard taking precedence over all other ideologies that humanity has created. I believe that part of the reason why we have so much divide about the word justice is because some of us in the pulpit and in church leadership have not spent the time needed to dive into the context of the text that we call the Bible. We have simply used American eisegesis by reading the American agenda into the text, into what the text is saying. We have spent more time uh, studying and using the American philosophical ideas like those in Thomas Sowell's book called Cosmic Justice. These ideas are good and challenging, but they do not fully account for the beauty of what the Holy Spirit does when humanity sees and remembers the humanity of other human beings. Instead of avoiding the Old Testament, the Old Testament text that Timothy had learned and practiced from his youth up, we should remember the words of Reverend Dr. Jeremiah A. Wright when he said that we have to remember that the text of the Bible was written by an oppressed people. We have to learn to read the text from the perspective of people who lived through captivity for hundreds of years. We need to be very careful with changing or avoiding the Hebrew Bible just so that we can get more followers. We have to remember that it is the same text that the Jewish rabbi carpenter that we call the Christ used in his teachings. So, is it the work of the church to be involved in fighting against the injustices of this nation? 
Is activism a part of the gospel that was taught by the tan Jewish rabbi from the ghettos of Nazareth that we call the, Jesus the Messiah? Or is it antithetical to the gospel that Jesus taught and Christianity itself? Is it just another radical view of critical theory that many conservative evangelical pastors and theologians are warning about in their Bible studies, books, sermons, and lectures? Or are the radical liberal-leaning sermons, lectures, and writings of those from the prophetic preaching, from prophetic preaching pastors, liberation theologians, and womanist theologians, are they more in line with the justice of the Old Testament? Are justice movements secular, or, or are they the work of God? Do the followers of Jesus get involved, or do we avoid these movements like the plague? Today, let's examine the theology of justice in the Old Testament. What is theology? What is justice? Does the Old Testament have something to say about what God thinks about the current social ills that we have in this country and throughout the world? Is justice a secular philosophy, or does it coincide with the teachings of the prophets? What does God have to say about justice? Is the justice of God active, or is it passive? Is it social, spiritual, or both? There are many teachings in classrooms and pulpits that address this subject from a biblical standpoint. However, the goal of this sermon is to address the previous questions from a theological standpoint, and I'll tell you why. It can be argued that the subject, that a subject like this has not been done justice by just looking at it from a biblical worldview. This subject, like others, cannot be glossed over by surface talking points. It needs to be addressed from a thorough thought process. I remember preparing a sermon about the pericope in Matthew 16, 13 through 18. And those of you that grew up in the churches of Christ, you know what that says by heart. I started in the biblical text, but my research for the context took me into the world of mythology and then brought me back to what Jesus was doing in the text. So this sermon plans to address that type of thought process. For those who have never heard the term or the meaning of theology, the modern definition of it simply means a study of God. Around 380 BC, the Republic, uh, Plato's The Republic, used the classical definition to mean a discourse about God. A patristic study of theology points to understanding the nature of God. Humanity has long sought to understand the vast and infinite nature of the creator of the universe. This thought process goes back to the beginning of time as we know it. If one believes that, th that theology is the study of God and understand the na understanding the nature of God, then it invites the individual to wrestle with how God is viewed by a particular individual. The question becomes, is God viewed as a judge, as a loving parent, or some other spiritual being that is only concerned with our happiness? For decades in this country, God has been viewed and taught mainly as a judge in many evangelical circles. This has been done by evangelical theologians and by evangelical pastors. This has been the mainstream view of Christianity in the United States, and it has been made famous in recent years by televangelists, mainstream Christian uh, bookstores, and evangelical seminaries. 
Just because this has been the widely held view of many in Christianity, that does not necessarily mean that it is the only view or that it's the right view in the eyes of God. It is a fallacy and a malpractice of theological thought to reject all notions that oppose the norm in American Christianity. Let me say that one more time. It is a fallacy and a malpractice of theological thought to reject all notions that oppose the norm in American Christianity. Whether we admit it or not, theological thought is shaped by what many consider the Wesleyan quadrilateral. People shape their thought process based on scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. It can be suggested that these processes, when not properly balanced, can lead us to an extreme religious thinking that we have here in American Christianity. Many evangelical Christian scholars and pastors hold to what they call a biblical worldview of Scripture. But this perspective is consistent with viewing Scripture through the lenses of, tra- of the traditions of the church, history, and the respective, their respective faith tradition. Many times, this narrow view of Scripture helps with reasoning through biblical topics, but it leaves no room for people's experiences with the Holy Spirit. This deficiency of acknowledging how the Holy Spirit is moving in the lives of others is part of what has led to the opposition of the traditional way of viewing biblical topics. Healthy theology does not find a position and stand on that position just because it fits the prescribed notions of one's faith, tradition, or political affiliation. Healthy theology is fluid like the Spirit of God and not stagnant like many of our talking points in American Christianity. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 in the Common English Bible. And it reads, Then God said, Let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image of God created them, male and female created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I will give to you all the plants of the earth that yield seeds and all the trees whose uh, fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food to all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground. To everything that breathes, I will give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything God had made. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. A thorough theological view recognizes that according to the previous text and the text of Genesis chapters 1 through 3, that God intended to have a relationship with humanity and creation. God was not only the creator, but God was also the loving parent of that creation, and God sought to correct the mistakes that humanity made. In the previously read text, God intended for there to be harmony with humans who did not look like each other to work together to tend to the matters of creation. As I hasten on, I want to point out that some in 
Christianity would suggest that the fall was a particular event in human history. However, it can be suggested that humanity continues to fail uh, the diverse unity that God set in, in motion when humanity was placed in the universe. God is just and righteous. He is the just and righteous one who created the universe. So God is who humanity should look to when seeking to do justice in this present world. Hagar was the victim in an act of injustice against her humanity because Abraham and Sarah wanted to help God. However, she was still, she still had a rich theological view of the creator of the universe. In Genesis 16, the text tells us how Hagar uh, addresses God as El Roy because she had seen the one who sees her. Here we have an enslaved African woman who had been raped by Abraham through the permission of Sarah. But she viewed God as the one who saw her despite her situation of being a single mother who was being sent away from her economic source. This God that she saw, this God saw her walk, uh, she saw this God walk with her despite advising her of the hardships that she and her son Ishmael were going to face. What a strong faith uh, that was put into Elroy during a personal encounter despite being advised of a pending hardship. A theological view that includes allowing room for experiencing the presence of God is more beneficial to the kingdom of God instead of having a mere biblical worldview that can spout out a plethora of scripture. John Witherington III says that a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. In other words, if we do not do our due diligence to uh, seek to put the text into the, its original context, we can make the text fit any narrative that we want it to portray. The Tanakh, or the Hebrew Bible, the Gospels about the life of Jesus, and the New Testament letters to the church are essential writings for us to seek to understand the nature of God who created the universe. However, those of us in academia and in ministry need to be careful that we do not turn these writings into a mere idol that hinder us from seeing what God is doing with God's creation. Despite many teachings about it, the Bible is not the final authority. God is. The Bible is the written version of oral traditions that was passed down by oppressed people of how the Creator has enacted with humanity and creation. In essence, the Bible is like a telescope that helps to see, helps us to see the nature of God. While a uh, biblical worldview is important, we should seek the observatory type of theological worldview because it can help us to better understand how the Spirit of God is working outside of our narrow worldview. A theological worldview not only encompasses the Bible, but it also how the Bible works with other subjects to help us to better understand how the Spirit of God works in this world. If we only, if I only prescribed, if I still prescribe to the solo scriptura method or Bible only, I would not have been able to see God in nature, art, music, and experiences. God used a, our dog named Velvet to teach me that proscaneo worship, a biblical concept, that it looked like a Muslim practice. Hmm. You might be thinking, so Robert, let me get this straight. You mean to tell me that God 
can use an Islamic practice shown through a dog and that that can point me back to the biblical text and what it teaches about the nature of God? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. God used a Muslim preacher named El Hajj Malik El Shabazz to show this preacher how to love himself like the Old Testament teaches. El Hajj was assassinated on this day 56 years ago, but his teachings will continue to influence this Jesus following preacher. As illustrated above, our theological, our theology should broaden our view of God and how God is working in this world, and it shouldn't narrow it. Our view of God shapes the way that we approach Scripture. If we approach Scripture seeking to allow it to exegete or to speak to us, we allow the Spirit of God to open our minds because we are merely, uh, uh, we are meekly receiving a word from God. At the same time, if we approach Scripture to prove um, others wrong, we can and will find scripture, scripture that will support our biblical efforts. Remember, a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever we want it to mean. When dealing with the subject of justice, we can find Scripture to support or to oppose how we view it based on how we view God. Earlier, we talked about a classical view of theology as defined by Plato as meaning a discourse about God. Some say that philosophical ideas have no place in religion. Theologians like James H. Cone and Raymond Carr argue that the sacred, the sacred and the secular cannot be separated. When the black church rejected secular music, great uh, ministers and prophets from the hallowed pews of our church buildings became mainstream voices that gave a prophetic discourse about God. They even preached melodious sermons about justice. We will forever have the spiritual songs of Marvin Gaye's album, What's Going On? In fact, Barry Gordy did not, want, did not like the song and was opposed to its release because it was, guess what, too political. Now, it is a classic. What's going on is listened to on radio stations like it's nothing. Because of the sacred and secular divide, we have the socially uh, conscious and sermonic songs of Curtis Mayfield. We still have encouraging and prophetic songs um, like To Be Young, Gifted, and Black by Nina Simone. These and other songs have been at times more encouraging than some of the mundane homilies from some of our pulpits. The sacred informed the secular for these artists. They understood that the justice of God did not look like what their society was portraying. There are many times that what we consider secular actually causes us to ask Socratic uh, questions, philosophy, and about why we believe what we believe, theology. In my classroom, I challenged my students to search past their surface Sunday school answer of, because that's what the Bible says. I challenge them to incur, engage with the text so that they can learn to have theological conversations with people of every walk of life. Walter Brueggemann says, justice is the maintenance of social relationships that keep life viable and human. And injustice is the practice of social relationships that make life not viable and not human. He also says, justice read from above tends to be predatory. It follows the idea of the maintenance of order. 
Does the phrase law and order sound familiar? This justice seeks to protect the status quo. Power will do anything and everything possible to protect power, no matter who it hurts in the process. On the other hand, justice that is from below, this is what Brueggemann says, justice that is from below is transformational and restorative. You cannot make nice with injustice is what he says. He says that it requires some type of fierce and abrasive confrontation. Also, I would argue and add that when it comes to righteousness, it is not just about being right, honest, or showing integrity towards God, but it is also doing the same towards humanity. As a matter of fact, in order to love God, we who follow Jesus are expected to be righteous in our love towards humanity. That fierce and abrasive confrontation that Brueggemann speaks about is uncomfortable for many in American Christianity because we have been taught to be passive pew people who get our cues from our church leaders, excuse me, from our church leaders instead of allowing the Spirit of God to lead us. Unfortunately, this is the same mindset that allowed Jewish leaders to side with the Roman Empire to have Jesus lynched and Paul incarcerated. Justice from the bottom up shows the integrity to stand up for humanity, for the humanity of others, even when those in power seek to convince us to do otherwise. We have to revert back to how God intended for humanity to function. We have to be honest with the text. Jesus said that he came to fulfill the prophecy that was written in the scroll of Isaiah. In Luke 4, we read that Jesus spoke about the spirit of the Lord being upon him and that he was appointed to bring good news to the poor proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It would behoove us, those of us who claim to be followers of the Jewish rabbi from the ghettos of Nazareth, to show some integrity and respect to, to Jesus and to the text by believing, teaching, and preaching the same format that he followed. Some say that social justice and the social gospel are anti-Bible and are dangerous teachings. My, my argument and my question to them, what, how is that so? Was God wrong to question Cain for how he interacted with his brother? Was God wrong to destroy the earth via the flood because of how humanity interacted with each other? Was God wrong to praise King Josiah for doing justice and righteousness because he took care of the poor and the needy? Was God wrong for saying that to do justice and righteousness is to know God? Was God wrong for speaking out against the injustices of Josiah's son because they focused their eyes and heart being set on dishonest gain, shedding innocent blood, and, practicing of, uh, and the practicing of oppression and violence? Was God wrong to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned attitudes? Was God wrong to be concerned about the social uh, issue of the poor and the needy not being taken care of in Sodom and Gomorrah, Ezekiel uh, 16? Was the pro were the prophets of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament, were they wrong because they taught about doing justice? Was the prophet Amos wrong to speak about social and economic justice in his writings. Let's look at Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, one more time. 
And I asked uh, Keith to put, put this up on the screen at this time. But as uh, one, one of my favorite preachers says, uh, I'm going to, he, he talks about reading from the OM3 version. I'm going to be reading from the RAJ version. And for those of y'all that, that didn't get that, I'll be reading the text from my interpretation. And it reads, With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before God with my charitable donations? With my voting asserting a certain party? Will the Lord be pleased with my church offering, with my social media evangelizing? Should I give up what I love most for my crime or my talent for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. So was Micah wrong to speak about God requiring us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God? Or as Alan Buzak says, to walk where God is walking. I had a professor ask me one time if I had experienced any of the oppression that I talked about in class. No, I had not necessarily experienced it, but I do stand up for those that have, and I speak for them in certain circles. Doing justice is being theologically trained in seminary and still humbly humbling ourselves and having integrity to tell the people of God the truth, even if it dismantles the core philosophy of our faith tradition. Doing justice is seeing someone who does not walk the exact same path that we are walking, but they are doing what Jesus taught and having enough respect for Je the Jesus of the text to allow God's spirit to work through that person in the name of Jesus, Luke 9, 49 through 50. Doing justice is not just being concerned about unborn fetuses, but also being concerned about why and how black bodies can, can be allowed to bleed out in the streets of America like animals that are taken to slaughter. Doing justice is being more concerned about Brianna losing her life than we are about stray bullets going into the wall of another's house. Doing justice is finding ways to minister to the poor single mother on welfare instead of viewing her as a baby-making factory. Doing justice is standing up to family and friends when they seek to devalue the humanity of others. Doing justice is missing out on uh, opportunities in order to stand in solidarity with those who are being mistreated. Doing justice is being more concerned about the uh, is being concerned about the incarceration of innocent individuals. Doing justice is being concerned about the poor and needy. Doing justice is standing up for and encouraging our black girls and black women instead of seeking to put them in their place. Doing justice is respecting a person's personal space and not allowing our curiosity to violate their humanity. They are not animals at a zoo. Doing justice is being more concerned about a person's mental health instead of writing them off. Doing justice is putting away our dualistic lifestyles of condemning people in a public forum and then privately supporting them because we secretly believe the same thing. Doing justice is hearing our fellow sisters and brothers out before we attempt to judge them based on our arrogant and ill-informed preconceived notions. 
doing justice is being uncomfortable in our ministries to help others to see the humanity of the LGBTQIA community despite what we may think about their life. Doing justice is calling out injustices that are done not only by other people, but by systems and the empire itself. Doing justice is about not only being concerned about our safety, but also being concerned about the treatment of the Latinx community and the indigenous peoples of this country. Doing justice is not only being concerned about foreign threats to the safety of this country, but also realizing that this country is made up of immigrants from other countries around the world who are being treated by, who are being threatened by the people uh, in this country that is made up of immigrants from other countries and around the world because being, them being threatened uh, by people who claim to follow the Jesus of the Gospels. Doing justice is being concerned about those who are being uh, spiritually abused by bad theology and seeking to change our approach. Doing justice is not only being concerned about the youth, but also being concerned about the elderly. Doing justice is when we as leaders and teachers have enough textual integrity to uh, teach our congregations and students that God wants all of us to be, to have more allegiance and reverence to God through the text that we have uh, to, uh, that we have given to our faith traditions and political parties. Remember that imbalance that I talked about earlier? So in conclusion, the justice of the Old Testament does not just have a social component to it. Its message itself is social. We show our love for God by following Jesus' social example of how he interacted with others through living out the teachings of the Old Testament. It is Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited, that teaches me that the first step toward love is a common sharing of a sense of mutual worth and value. How can we say that we love another and not see that other's worth or value? Building on that notion, it was Kelly Brown Douglas's book, Sexuality and the Black Church, that taught me that until I, until I learned to love all black people, I did not love any black people. And yes, I know it makes you uncomfortable, but this includes the black LGBTQIA of my community, those that are in my classroom and in my congregation. This includes um, the work of those who sought to advance our people, like James Baldwin, Bayard Rustin, Langston Hughes, Audre Lorde, Barbara Jordan, Alice Walker, and Angela Davis. It was my Christian ethics class led, led by Laura Rector that taught me to approach the ethics of justice by viewing subjects from several different angles. It was my spiritual formation class led by Jackie Halstead who reminded me that God's grace goes both ways. It was my systematic theology class uh, led by Lauren White and one-on-one -on -one conversations that I have had over the years with Ray Carr who challenged me to challenge the thought processes about uh, theology and justice. It was countless people throughout my life that have shown me what justice looks like. It was Tiffany loving me through the entire process of seeing God as a judge to seeing God as a loving parent, or should I say, daddy. So let me end by asking some questions. Is the work of the church to be involved, is it, the work of the church to be involved in fighting against the injustices in this nation. 
is activism a part of the gospel or uh, that is taught by the, uh, the ten Jewish rabbi from the ghettos of Nazareth that we call Jesus the Messiah? Or is it antithetical to the gospel that Jesus taught in Christianity? Are justice movements secular movements? Or are they the work of God? Should Christians get involved in activism or do we need to avoid it like the plague? Each individual has to make the choice of whether or not they want to join these social organizations. However, I will caution those of us who are in positions of power in churches and institutions of higher learning to be honest in our critiques of these organizations if we oppose them. Our American political affiliations may be influencing our theolo uh, theology of justice instead of our theology informing our social affiliations. Who are we to think that God cannot move in ways that look unfamiliar to us? Who are we to have the audacity to say that God is not involved in situations with which we disagree? Who are we to say that God has not moved away from the pulpits and into the streets? The religious leaders of Jesus' day thought that they had a monopoly on how God was moving. Jesus' life and ministry shattered that idea. His teachings came from the Old Testament text. Remember that we can be wrong. It was the religious leaders that sided with the Roman Empire to assassinate the enemy of the state. Jesus was a social gospel minister. And he was a minister of justice. So the question is, is will we follow his example? Will we do justice through practicing the hospitality that Naomi Shahid Nye talked about in her poem? Let us pray. To the God of Mama Maggie, Grandma Pearl, and Brother Chris, I pray that the things that I have proclaimed this day were pleasing to you and that they prick not only my heart, but the heart of all of those who heard it. In the name of the Jewish rabbi named Jesus, amen. Got the slide. Want to remind everybody about this event that's coming up on the 25th. Rush said that they have pretty much sold out of all of the tickets to be there in person, but you can see it online. This is just one of the examples of how God, God's justice has been um, shown uh, in this local community here. 75 years ago. There was a racial uprising in Columbia, Tennessee. Who would ever thought Columbia, Tennessee? So if you can, uh, go to that website, or if you're on, I think it'll be streamed on Facebook Live also. So if you can, um, you can listen to that story, and you can see another example of how God's justice from the Old Testament uh, has been shown in this society. Thank you. Robert, for speaking to us this morning. Um, I, want, I want to say one thing about that event, but first I want to say something about Robert. So the reason I asked him to speak today is because he challenges me to think, and he challenges us to think. And when a man starts a sermon with, I pray for all those that are going to be angry about what I say today, <laughs> you wonder what he's going to say today, right? Um, I think that's one of the things that's missing in the church today, and it's like the churches, 
Christians tend to congregate towards places where the pastor says something that they all agree with. And the, the, the merit of a sermon is based upon how much of I agree with it. So if I do a sermon and you agree with it, wow, man, that pastor is great. That's a great sermon. That's a great sermon. And if you don't agree with it, you get angry and go somewhere else to somebody who says things that you agree with. And as you went through the doing justice list, I was thinking about that quote. I don't know who said it. It's an old quote uh, that the goal of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And I was afflicted today. And, uh, you know, I, it was, you said some stuff. I was like, oh, oh, man, that hurt. Whoa, wait a minute. I got to think about that. And um, I think that's good preaching. And so I appreciate you doing that and challenging our thinking. I think that's one of the things missing in the church today is we're not able to, to hear things and think about things in a critical way and reasonable discourse uh, we just are always looking for uh, echo chambers, and that's what happens on social media a lot. And so I told you last week that there's going to be things in this series that will make you uncomfortable, and uh, that's going to continue as we get down into justice in practice, and we'll talk more about that. So next Sunday, I'll be talking about justice from the New Testament. We're still building the theological foundations of this. I'll talk justice from the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus and then we'll get into justice in practice. And we'll be talking about justice for the unborn, uh, justice for victims of human trafficking, justice for the poor, which is all throughout the Old Testament, and uh, justice, racial justice. And this event is uh, remember1946.com, Thursday night, February. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.